listening to music tectonics. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Music Tectonics, the podcast that goes beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Trister Neuer Jaeger, Chief Strategy Officer at Rock Paper Scissors, the agency specializing in PR and marketing for music innovators. This episode, we're going to get real about so-called deep fakes and faux drakes, and we're going to get serious about the so-called clones out there. I'm talking about voice synthesis, when AI models transform the voice of one person into that of another with all its possibilities, challenges, and potential pitfalls. So how does this stuff actually work? What can it do and what can't it do? What business models are appearing that will make sense in the long run for the music business? Joining me to answer these questions today are two AI thinkers coming from very different angles, but from the same company, Music AI, also known as Moises. They are Seth Goldstein, the General Counsel and Vice President of Legal and Business Affairs, and Michael Nevins, Vice President of Branding and Communications. First, let's hear from Michael. I wrote a little song for the Music Tectonics podcast. I wrote a little song for the Music Tectonics podcast. One more time for the Music Tectonics podcast. Aw, shucks, you shouldn't have. Hey, wait a second, Michael. Can can we hear that again? I wrote a little song for the Music Tectonics podcast. I wrote a little song for the Music Tectonics podcast. One more time for the Music Tectonics podcast. Hmm, that sounded uh, a different. What do you say you try it one more time? I wrote a little song for the Music Tectonics podcast. I wrote a little song for the Music Tectonics podcast. One more time for the Music Tectonics podcast. Okay, okay, enough with the silliness. In case you haven't guessed, that first voice is the actual voice of one of our guests for this episode, and the next two were synthetic based on that singing performance using AI models in Music AI's voice studio to render them as different sounding voices. Note, Michael is not a pro singer. He wanted me to let you know that. And therefore, the models can't fix his non-pro sound. So regrets to everyone. No AI is going to make you sound just like The Weeknd. During our conversation, Michael tells us exactly what inspired him to write a little song for the Music Tectonics podcast and how he did all this, as well as a bunch of other topics. So I'll let him and Seth tell you all about it. Here's the show. So we are here with Seth and Michael of Moises and Music AI. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hey, Trista. Thanks for having us. Oh, absolutely. This is going to be a blast. Um, So... First off, a lot of people have been throwing around things like voice clones and and voice modeling, et cetera. But I would love if you could explain voice synthesis to me like I'm a fifth grader. How exactly does this stuff work? Where to begin? Seth and I have debated about (laughs) how to best describe this topic in the past and and which word even to use. Is it voice synthesis? Is it voice cloning? Eek, we don't like that one. Um, Is it timbre transfer? There's a lot of different things uh, to, to consider here. But I think. Seth has a, a a good and concise because I don't do concise a good uh, concise description of 
the tech and how it works. So I'm going to defer to him. Yeah, I mean, at a base level, um, voice synthesis is making something sound like someone using computers. And, and we use the word something because that something can be text. It could be an audio recording, could be anything, could be a video. Um, but, you know, I, I hope my fifth grader understands that. <laughs> Probably a fifth grader would understand that better than my um, than my parents, for example. <laughs> I think it comes a little bit more intuitively to fifth graders. So, so exactly how? So, so let's walk through the stages. Um, how do you record the? Um, you know, how do you get the model to sound like someone else? Like, what what do you need to put into the model? How how vaguely does the model work? And how do you get the output? Well, I'll start with how we operate because mm-hmm. there are different ways to do this. Certainly, you could. Um, as people are doing already, find audio out in the in the wild, run it through an AI model that uh, essentially captures the the voice characteristics, and then moves on to create some sort of horrible product that we should all be ashamed of. Um, we <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, um, but we operate a little differently, quite a bit differently, really, and. The way we have brought voice uh, modeling to market is through a product that we call um, Voice Studio. And with Voice Studio, we have uh, gone into uh, top quality studios with high level gear, some of the best gear in the market, microphones, et cetera, et cetera. And we record uh, professional singers. The typical process without wanting to give away too much of our secret sauce, the typical Mm -hmm. process is not what you might think. We don't just take a song from them, um, run it through a computer, and then come out the other side with something something usable. We have a a specific proprietary process that we follow that uh, in the recording process that helps us come away with a very, very high quality um, impression of that voice or a voice timbre model. There's different ways that we we can describe it. Um, what I think is important is to understand that doing that doesn't mean that, um, we are completely changing, uh, somebody, uh, creating something new and unique unto itself. Um, I can sing a song, apply a voice model to it from our voice studio, for example, and it will still retain my energy, my emotional content, my inflection, the way I said it, et cetera, et cetera. But it marries it with the voice characteristics of the voice model. So for example, when we do things with uh, a celebrity, for example, they may help us build a model of their voice. And then another person, for example, if we were doing a translation into another uh, language, for example, you need somebody who can speak the Spanish and do that properly in a local, uh, you know, localized way, uh, and then we marry the celebrity voice to it so that it sounds natural and sounds uh, accurate. How can we make these voices sound better? So, is the is the recording input the key element, or are there other steps along the way? You know, how do we judge quality when it comes to voice synthesis, whether we're talking spoken word or song? text. Well, I think there's a different, two different ways that you can improve the quality. Right? You can create a voice model using any audio, um, but to get the best quality on the voice model, you need to be training it with a clean vocal, as many hours of, of speech as you can to really get the timbre of that person you're trying to create a model of. Um, it's also based on the model, the underlying model that you're using. Some are better than others. You know, we like to think ours is amazing, um, but it, it's really the, the quality quality in 
and you get quality out. Right. And the, and the algorithms used, you know, the ultimately the AI models that are used to um, do the work are constantly improving. So that's true for everybody in the industry. Uh, we put particular time and effort into making sure that that, that that happens all the time. So part of it is not only um, the work you do in the capture of a voice, but it's the improvement of your model over time. And there's also the the quality of the underlying performance, right? So what you map the model onto. We were just talking about this a bit before we hit the big red record button, Michael. So if you are a uh, if you're not the best best singer in the world, um, the voice model can only do so much, right? Like you have to have a good performance in order to have the voice model give you a good output. I think she just said that I'm not a very good singer, but. Uh... <laughs> You sounded fine. You sounded fine. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm not fishing for compliments, but I will be honest. I'm not a great singer. I'm a better drummer than singer, but I do sing sometimes. And I did, uh, you know, record some audio uh, for Trista that she can share later, and uh, you know, perhaps we can add it uh, to the program. But um, in that, uh, while I was able to marry it with better voice models and people who have better sounding uh, underlying voices than I do, if you will, um, it's still retains all of my uh problems uh yeah my pitch isn't great and my inflection could be better and you know it's very authentic though you you sang from the heart though that's what really matters yes yeah it's true um some people might love it um but it does uh you know to do this really really well let's for example i think everybody at this point who might be listening to this is probably uh, aware of the fake drake uh project. I don't know what else to call it. The fake Drake incident. Um, (laughs) And in a situation like that, where somebody is doing this kind of work um, to take a voice model and try to sound like Drake, they may have captured a a voice model of Drake. This is not something we had anything to do with. Let me be clear about that. Um, You still need to try to sing like, like Drake. You still need to imitate Drake really well for it to work well. So it, it depends on you know, humans to be very good at this. So in, in a more positive context, when you're doing this for localization, translation and localization, um, or trying even just to um, use it in the context of producing new a new music product, um, the underlying singer needs to be able to sing and needs to, you know, have at least needs to be able to understand pitch and timing and everything else to make it work. And then this is, I mean, and this is, this is one of the incorrect assumptions that a lot of people make. Um, and why voice cloning has become such a dirty word over the last few months. Um, I think everyone who's heard Heart on My Sleeve by Ghostwriter thinks Ghostwriter typed in some words and out, and he put put it through Drake's voice model and out came Drake. That's not the case at all. You know, Ghostwriter or some other singer created a sound recording of them doing their best Drake impression. You know, his flow, the way he speaks, his accent, the way he, the, the words he uses um, and they took that sound recording and then put it through a voice model, which applied Drake's timbre to that sound recording. And out, and out you get Drake, Drake's timbre, the way he speaks, the way he sings, the way he raps, his flow and everything. So there's a lot that needs to go into it to really create a an imitation of someone. Um, and that's why I think we, we think voice cloning has, be, has become a really dirty word because of that, because that's everyone's first introduction to this, this technology. Yeah, that's such an important point that... Um... That, that you both have made that without the underlying performance from a human, the voice model can only do so much. So if I were to sing like Robert Goulet and then, I don't know, add like, 
you know, put but you yes. use a voice model that was like the weekend, it would it would not sound like either singer um, in, cer- in certain ways. It's kind of an interesting creative gap there. Right. The, the tech will get there. Um, I mean, tech's getting better every day, but the, the tech is not there yet. It's, the tech is not there where you can just type in some words and out comes Drake and sounds exactly like Drake. But clearly Fascinating. There's, there's some, like, in, I think in any, when new technology is applied to any art form, I'll st- stick with music in this example, there's often a little bit of hysteria in the beginning about, oh my God, what could this mean? And I think that's fair in this case. I think um, Ghost Rider and Fake Drake is, uh, you know, the, the kind of thing that people should be concerned about and the industry certainly mm-hmm. should be concerned about. Um, so I don't mean to minimize that, but I think in the beginning we tend to focus on the, oh no, what does this mean? As opposed to, oh wow, what could this enable? You know, what are, mm-hmm. what are the positive uh, possibilities of something like this? And so I imagine we'll, we'll touch on that, some of that today. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about music so far and singing, but there are other ways you can use synthetic voices. What are some creative ways you guys have heard about uh, these voices being used you know, again, we tend, tend people tend to focus a little bit on the doom and gloom. That's a little easier to grasp right now. But there's some other really cool, um, exciting, inspiring ways to use it. Let's let's talk about that. I can jump in here, please. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying not to talk too much. You know, it's something <laughs> I do. I tend to. It is a it is a podcast interview, so you know, well, talking you know, talking too much is part of the, the part two of the other game. very okay. smart people on this call. So yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> well, at least one. I don't want to be that guy. But, but I mean, Tris, I, I mean, at least we have, you know, I, I'm the pessimist in the room. Michael's oh, the thank goodness. So anytime you oh, want some beautiful. optimism, go, go to beautiful. Michael. Um, we'll we'll, yeah, we'll get to you. Like, We're going to get to you soon, Seth, when we talk about the legal and oh, business yeah. implications, because that's where the pessimism is really going to come in. But, Michael, tell me. So, <laughs> certainly there's a, a joke well, about the optimist pessimist, and a pessimist, you know, a marketer and a, and a lawyer walking into a bar together. But, um, <laughs> we get along well, which is good. Um, I, I, one of the interesting things for me when I, when I first joined the company was to learn about what's happening, um, you know, with, I, I guess the best way to put it would be artists' estates. And there may be a better, you know, name, image, likeness, I guess, on the, on the legal front. Um, you know, we have a partnership with a company uh, called Hyperreal, and they um, work with the uh, estates, in some cases, of, of artists who've passed away, of famous uh, celebrities who've passed away. And in that context, um, they are essentially enabling virtual experiences where um, the artist's legacy essentially is preserved and, uh, you know, with the permission, at least, of the um of the family and the, and the estate, they're creating new content. And so while it can be a little polarizing, I think when people first heard about, um, let's say Tupac and, and, uh, uh, I always forget the word, the, uh, holograms, uh, say it again. Sorry. The, the, the hologram quote unquote hologram. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, I think that over time there will be more acceptance of that kind of thing is sort of, you know, a regular thing that we see happen and there's already a, a lot of activity there. So, um, there are projects in the works where, I, you know, we hear about uh, artists who are retiring. I'm not going to go into the details, but where they want to be able to continue to earn money and continue to perform in some fashion. And voice modeling is being used in that context essentially to, uh, you know, keep the music going and keep uh, keep things going. It also is true for spoken word. Um, so um, there are celebrities who are not musicians who are also um Either their families or estates are using um, voice synthesis as a way or voice modeling as a way to um, 
you know, extend their sort of active lifespan in, in the public. Amazing. We're going to take a really quick break here and we'll be right back to talk about a little, just, just a little touch of the doom and gloom and some of the other prospects facing uh, voice models. We'll be right back. Hey, Shaylee here. Join me online February 7th, 2024 for Music Making Innovations, a free online event. Find out where the innovation is happening in music making apps and instruments. We're bringing together some of our favorite finds from the NAMM show and beyond. You'll get sneak peek demos of innovations that are shaking up the creator space and making waves across the music industry and hear from the pioneers who are doing it. That's February 7th at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. UK time. Register for free and learn about our monthly seismic activity online event series at musictectonics.com. See you there. Now back to the show. Okay, we're back. And now we get into, I gotta say, I love the creative stuff. That's really fun. But I also kind of love the nitty gritty of how all this will affect business. Um, so, you know, recently, for, for example, uh, there, there was an announcement that there's a GPT store. So you can have, these are chat bots, right? These aren't voice models. They're not speaking. I don't think, are, are they? Maybe they are. I haven't, I haven't poked around there that much. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of talk about like how valuable is this? You know, there's been a lot of jokes uh, in among journalists of the number of um, GPT girlfriends and um, the sort of stubbornness of a lot of chatbots who just refuse to give you any answer but what they've been told. So, um, you know, how you know that that's one uh, option to have like a marketplace of voices or something like that. How do you see these models being turned into a business? What is the future uh, total addressable market for something like this? I don't know that I can speak to total addressable market, but I can share a little bit about something that we're doing already, um, which essentially is a marketplace in, in the way it operates. Um, our, you know, we created this voice studio product, and I don't, you know, want to go on a, a sales pitch about our product. But what's mm -hmm. interesting about it is uh, the business model, and essentially within uh, the software platform, there are several. I think we're up to thirteen so far roughly um, 13 voices with more coming um, that are modeled on real singers, singers who wanted to license their, their voice. Um, and it creates a revenue opportunity, not only for our company, but initially it, it's a revenue opportunity for the singers who sometimes don't have a, a great way to do this. And so I, I think that that's a sort of interesting way to look at it. Somebody acquires our software, they get into our platform, they can audition different types of voices. They can decide what they want to use, and um, the singers are compensated as a result. And Seth can share more with you about how that happened and how we structured the business, if that's uh, um, Yeah, I would to love into. to. I mean, I'm thinking about things like, you know, Find Away Voices slash Spotify. You know, audiobooks are becoming more and more a slice of the the streaming audio pie um and you know synthetic voices are going to play a big part in that because they are already permitted to you know books that have been read by us not read but have been rendered in an in a synthetic voice are allowed on a lot of platforms how yeah how would ideally the providers of these voices uh the the vocalists or singers or or um narrators be compensated like what do you think a good model might be that would be ethical well, there's, there's a few different models you could think of, um, but the model that we've gone to market with and, and we're testing is um, to have 100% of the revenue go back to the actual singer who provided their voice um, for the voice model. Um, and 
the, the 11, 13, 12, 13 voices we've, we've launched, um, they've been purchased and we, we've, we've been paying the, the royalties on to the, the singers, 100%. Um, we even got some, some voicemails in the last week where these singers are now getting the checks in and they're, you know, they're ecstatic. They're, they're crying at, at how much this means to them. Um, Amazing. So, yeah, it's really good to be part of that. Um, you know, I come from the music industry and, and typically it's how, how little can we pay the artist? Yeah. Um, now we're kind of flipping it on its head and say, well, how much can we pay the artist? And, and our goal is to get as much money back to the artist as possible and let them use their gift and their voice to, to generate a new revenue stream for themselves. Where's the revenue for Music AI or Moises, though? Um, it's all uh, subscription-based. Um, we gotcha. have it's subscription access to our to our platform, um, and you can buy these voice packs. Amazing. Um, what other you know? Can we think a bit about the what's the, sorry? Let's talk a bit about the customer base, though. Like you know, obviously we don't need you to tell. We don't need to know who exactly is is um, subscribing and buying these voice packs, but roughly you know roughly categorized. Who who is doing this now, and who do you see doing this in the future? Right. So today, the uh, voice studio product lives within, let's say, a, a, a pro tier within our um, software packages. So that's generally people who are producers. So people who are either um, working from home studios or professional studios. It, it really runs the gamut. But it's uh, it appears. Um, or manifest in such a way that it's typically in a production environment, let me put it that way. So it's not um, celebrity voice changer type of uh, activity. <laughs> we don't do that and we, don't, and we, and we won't. Um, but it's people, you know, if you think about the use case for a producer, um, let's assume that I was actually a really good producer, except, you know, rather than a guy with some software at home. Um, I write a song. I might be able to sing that song adequately, although with a lot of pitch problems, admittedly. Um, I might want to pitch that song to a uh, label or to an artist or to a publishing company in Nashville. And the song really there should be sung by a female country singer who's a soprano. Mm -hmm. I'm none of those things. Using voice modeling, you can essentially sing the song yourself in your own studio apply the uh, voice of a um, country singer from Nashville, essentially. And what comes out the other side is now much more appropriate for your pitching uh, of the song in, into the marketplace. So that's already happening where some people don't have access to local singers. They can do it themselves. Um, so that's sort of a, a, a real case uh, scenario that's, that's happening right now. Okay. I want to ask, a legal question, Seth, and I may be I may be forcing us to walk into territory we don't necessarily want to spend too much time in. But this is an interest. I, I think it's a question on a lot of people's minds. So, say we we have these sort of this marketplace of licensed voices, and they're putting out a lot of stuff. Where you know what are the legal risks there for both this the 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 original vocal talent and for the the producer using it like do you how are how is the landscape being laid out just from a legal perspective and where are some what are some things you think that music music industry folks need to be aware of as we sort of move into this uncharted territory i mean i think the the biggest pitfall is if you can take a voice that's that's known and create something uh, whether mm -hmm. it's obscene pornographic, uh, you know, it's a political position that the artist doesn't want to take. Um, I mean, I think I see that as the mm -hmm. biggest pitfall. Um, the way we've 
release the the voice studio right now is there it's unknown artists they're all they're all through pseudonyms um but again we 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 put in our rules that you can't use this for certain content obscene content uh content that we find um you know just wrong um you know i think right now the limitation really is by contract is how you how you contract with the artist how you contract with the users it's just interesting to think about if this does kind of take off, like if we move from, you know, really professional specialized producers to voice, you know, synthetic voices being part of plugins, say, in a DAW, like Ableton or FL Studios or, you know, BandLab, something, GarageBand, where people have a lot of access. What are we, I mean, this is, do you see any potential ways we could put some guardrails on this process or are we just going to have to write it out and see what, you know, what the court cases say and what the legal precedents are, how do you foresee this unfolding? Um, well, for, I mean, firstly, contractually, we, we can always put the guardrails in, in by contract. But as we all know, you know, contracts sit in the drawer until something goes wrong. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the guardrails we can put in place is we actually have technology that we're able to identify uh, synthetic voices in, a, in an audio recording. Uh, the next step is to be able to add technology on top of that where you can identify which artist or which voice model was used to create that. So you can always track it back, mm-hmm. um, you know, putting guardrails on, on, on the front end. Um, you know, I don't know how much, I don't think we want to go back to the days where we're DRMing yeah. you know, audio recordings um, where, you know, you can only use this voice model for a specific reason or, or the results of this voice model for a specific thing. Um, so it's really about, we have to put in uh, ways to police this on, on the, on the, on the front end, on the, on the usage end. On, on where this is being used. Um, as far as, you know, legally, um, outside the U.S., there's some really strong rights of publicity laws in place. Um, inside the U.S., it's not so clear. Uh, in the U.S., rights of publicity is on a state-by-state basis. Uh, there's some case law covering it, but there's no federal right of publicity in the U.S. currently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, out, like I said, outside the U.S., you can easily, uh, not easily, but it's, it's, it's easier to, uh, to prevent someone from using your voice in a way that you don't authorize. In the US, it's a little bit more difficult currently. Wow. Okay. Good times. <laughs> yeah. And this is not this is not something new. Um, this, yeah. this has been happening uh, for a while. Like in the in the 80s, even way before we were able to, to create synthetic voices, um, there was, you know, Bette Midler is one example. Uh, Ford used a sound alike uh, to uh, to sing a song, a jingle for one of their one of their car commercials. And they actually hired a Bette Midler backup singer, and he told her to sound like Bette Midler. Wow, that's that's it's important to remember those those historical examples because I think they're not really in the conversation right now. No, and uh, ultimately it went to it went to, to, to court, and Bette Midler won. Um, she won damages for that. Um, but soundalikes are there is a, a big chunk of the catalog out there on on whether it's Apple or Spotify or, or any music service that is a, that are that are soundalikes. Well, wow. and has there been any, um, I mean, in reference to things like people just, I guess that's completely legal, right? Because of the blanket license, you can just go and record um, a song that's been released before and put it out. And if you happen to sound exactly like it and you put things in right, you'll come up top of search and people will play your version rather than the original artists. Right, right. Yeah, the search results is actually a big thing um, with DSPs. Yeah. Um, and obviously the record labels want the original versions that come to the top as opposed yeah. to the sound likes. Interesting. <laughs> and it's just going to get more complicated now with, with voice clones. If you're like a really talented cover artist, 
like you like you were saying, Michael, you have to have the right intonation. You have to sound similar enough to the artist that you'd like to use the the synthetic voice of. Oh my gosh, this is gonna get this is gonna get crazy. Um, yeah, it may, it may, it I may, mean, it I, may not. Like, okay, optimist, like give us a give us another take. How right. could it how could it get less crazy or or, or well, remain somewhat sane let and me, grounded? Let me, let me try to be realist as opposed to optimist or pessimist. Um, you know, I was working in studios in the '80s when drum machines were first becoming, um, you know, popular within studios. But you know, Lindrum was like a, a a thing suddenly, and in that particular, and also, you know, synthesizers were already pretty well established, uh, but samplers were also becoming um, pretty uh, common. And when you th- at those times when when drum machines came in, all the drummers freaked out and thought they were going to like never work again. Didn't happen. Um, some drummers learned to program Lindrum and worked a lot. Um, different styles of music evolved. And in some ways, if you think about it in a historical context, it probably created more than it, than it harmed. Let me put it that way. It created opportunities. It may have shifted them into other, into other places. Um, at the same time, um, sequencing came along. Um, wow, is this going to change how things work? Uh, sampling. Well, if we're sampling a horn player, does a horn player not get hired for that session? Those things were were legitimate concerns that mm-hmm. people had, and certainly from a you know um, unions were trying to ensure that you know musicians wouldn't be put out of work and that kind of thing. And so certainly some of that stuff has has harmed some people in in some cases. But the music industry did not fall apart. Um, the television industry didn't fall apart. The jingle business, as we called it in those days, did not fall apart as a result. They shifted. And, you know, home studios also were proliferating in the 80s. And suddenly you could, you didn't have to go to a giant studio. Did it hurt the studio industry? Yeah. But it also opened it up to many people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to participate in, mm-hmm. the, in music for advertising. And so I take a long view on this. And while I, I don't want to leave too much room for, um, you know, some of the, I, I think some bad things can certainly happen. I worry about what can happen with disinformation, misinformation in the marketplace. And, you know, we used to be able to, I think we thought we could believe our eyes and our ears when we, when we, you know, saw things or heard things, even if it's not as accurate uh, as it should be. Um, people are now questioning that. Uh, and I think rightfully, because I don't think we can assume that anything's real anymore when we see it in video or, or hear it in audio. So I don't want to downplay that too much, but I think that some of that hysteria will pass. We'll develop some tools for fake detection and things like that. And over time, we will see this in the context of, of technology moving forward. I'm Sorry also, if that was a long no, speech. No, no, that's, that's actually, way, no, it's, it's great. It. I'm also very curious what you guys think of, you know, when, for instance, if you look at some of the early computer generated imagery used in movies, for example, um, you know, I'm old enough to remember like seeing them and going like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. You know, and you look at it now, you're like, oh, it looks like crap, you know? So <laughs> I, there's this sort of developing and, and, you know, developing sensitivity to certain artifacts or elements in a computer generated image or sound you know almost you know it's very very difficult to to fool someone who's really good at you know when it comes to like strings versus like since since strings versus like uh you know live recorded strings 
you know, and maybe there'll be more and more convergence in that area. So I'm not ruling out that that's not possible. But I'm wondering, will our perception catch up with technology? Like, will will my kids and grandkids get really good at detecting AI artifacts? You know, Um, I'm just just curious what you think about that. I don't. I actually think I tend to take the pessimistic view on that. I think as technology gets better, they'll they'll be less likely to detect uh, artifacts of, of AI processing. Interesting. Yeah. I, um, my, yeah. Yeah. My, my my hope is is that you know this technology is using in combination with human artistry and human creation and mm-hmm. and, and enhances that as opposed to completely replace it. Um, yeah. I've you know I, I was asking I was talking to my kids last week and and I was asking them do you when you listen to music do you listen to music because you like the artist or do you listen to music because you like the song and you don't even think twice about the artist? Unfortunately, they told me yeah I just listen to it because I like the song I don't really focus on the artist that much. Obviously Taylor Swift uh, you know set her aside because uh, she holds a, a special place in our in our home. Um, <laughs> but you know I, I'm foreseeing the future. I, I can see that I can see the creation of a wholly synthetic pop star mm-hmm. um whether it's it's the audio it's the visuals it's everything um and create a you know create a whole career for this synthetic pop star can can go uh you know do hologram ho- hologram concerts um so i hope we don't see that feature because i hope there is human artistry attached to it but i'm i'm, I'm dubious or, uh, are I'm we gonna so see sure a hard fork you know. i mean there's going to be people who are like, you know, not, who are kind of taking the Amish path and you're like, I want music that's made by a string vibrating mm-hmm. with somebody in a room. And it won't necessarily sure. be like, OK, boomer. I mean, there's young people who also feel this way. Um, and then there's going to be people who are like, yeah, I'm totally cool with this. Totally fantastic. And honestly, I hope it's no longer just like skin, skinny young women. Like, let's get weird. Let's like have like crazy, strange <laughs> beings that are right. completely fantastic. And maybe some, you know, some 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 cuties that we can um, just like most celebrities today but like let's get really really wild with this people if we're going to imagine um other creatures um anyway that aside yeah what do you think i I could see where there's room for both yeah and i think you know you'll see both happening you know i remember because i'm there was a time when i used to think wow djs are artists now i you know i'm old and I remember years and years and years ago somebody telling me that they were leaving the jingle business to go um it was actually a story told to me about somebody leaving the jingle business to uh, manage a DJ. And I was managing bands at the time too. So this idea that you could manage a DJ, I said, what are they going to like book weddings? I, I don't get it. You know, what is this about? Like find new radio station shops. And um, it didn't take long for me to then find out that this DJ was named Moby. And, you know, <laughs> right. So we think of Moby Oops. as a, an artist, not somebody who is yeah. just spinning records. Yeah. And so, you know, somebody who was recontextualizing, you know, existing stuff to some degree and, you know, and doing original music at the same time. And a whole category of, of, of dance music and creativity is, has evolved over that period of time mm-hmm. that, that we couldn't imagine in the past. As, as we speak yeah. today, I mean, vinyl is one of the largest growing segments in the music industry. So, so, yeah. you know, maybe there will be that nostalgia or yeah, like 100% or a new music. a nostalgia, a nostalgia where people are like, I want to feel, I want to feel the vibes because the vibes will will set me free or whatever. You know, all sorts of crazy human thought can come up around ordinary experiences that take them, make them, transform them. Um, anyway, cool. We've gotten way off track, but in the best of ways. And now we're going to take a quick break before we zig back to synthetic voices and their future. What's up, beautiful listeners? Now I have a question for you. 
What do you want to hear next? Let me know at musictectonics.com slash podcast. Click the big pink button to fill out a quick survey. Suggest future guests or music innovation topics you want to hear Dimitri and Tristra cover. Or just tell me how we're doing. That's at musictectonics.com slash podcast. Now back to the show. Okay, we're back. So I want to talk about two things that we haven't quite gotten to. um, And that is one of the most interesting, I think, you know, non-musical applications of synthetic voices. And we've talked a bit about this is getting is taking someone who is speaking one language and rendering their voice in all its beauty and glory and recognizability in another language. And I'm though I, I would love to see some experiments to see how far you could push this. Like if someone is, you know, a Dutch speaker, can they speak Vietnamese? Like how are there gaps? Like are there language language like like things that just make, you know, when you have a beautiful tonal language like Punjabi but you're, then you have something like finish where the intonation just goes down, 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 down um, in a sentence. Like what what happens? Anyway, that's probably some speculation for another podcast. But tell me about a bit about regionalization and the role of synthetic voices and how you see this playing out in the next couple of years. OK, I can I can start on that one. Um, I think you asked a question about different types of languages, which is interesting. Models will improve, training will get better. Over time, all of these things will improve. So without going into the details, so I can't speak to Punjabi versus uh, you <laughs> know, Dutch or anything else. I know, honestly. it comes up, it doesn't come um, up every day when, you know, <laughs> the, the Punjabi but, to Finnish language model question. <laughs> and I think, well, it's true. It doesn't come up often. But I think when when we're thinking about localization um, for, you know, television, film, et cetera, even in music, there's an opportunity there. And as the opportunity becomes more obvious, there will be more investment and there will be more reason for those models to improve. So um, in the music industry, for example, we already know that there are projects happening with uh, people um, using AI or or even back in the day, the Beatles used to record in you know three or four different languages in order to be able to market their stuff in other countries. They certainly weren't the only ones to do that. Um, that's now happening with the, the help of, of uh, voice synthesis. And I think as artists think about ways to um, connect with audiences in different territories, um, this will become uh, much more common and will be seen as an opportunity. And therefore, the tech that supports it will get better and better. The methodologies will get better and better. Television and film, um, we're already doing projects. We have a a project with with Shaquille O'Neal that we did for... Uh, Papa John's and Papa John's pizza. And it's for the chacaroni pizza. Um, I think chacaroni is an English word. Um, <laughs> and it, certainly not Punjabi as far as I could tell. Um, but in any case, um, the TV commercial was recorded with Shaq speaking uh, English for the most part. He does speak a little Spanish in this commercial, but um, it's largely recorded in English. And they wanted to localize it for markets all around the world. And rather than um, just putting um, titles on the, on the screen or you know, subtitles in, in the local languages, they used um, our voice modeling tech. Essentially, we created a, a voice model of Shaq with his approval and his involvement. Um, and then that was essentially married with uh, recordings done by local um, 
you know, local speakers of, let's say, Spanish. Mm -hmm. So a Spanish speaker speaks. He does his best to try to match um, visually what what Shaq is, you know, doing. Or actually, Shaq wasn't on screen in this case, but to essentially match his his uh, speech pattern, and then uh, marrying that voice model with that uh, local speaker, you end up with a very high quality Shaq speaking Spanish, but in in a particularly locally re regionalized way, and that really increases the value of that particular advertisement and its ability to connect with an audience in, in that particular market. And so I think as that um, becomes more common, you'll see improvements in all the underlying tech and the methodologies, and it will become sort of an expectation that when you see a Shaq commercial in Mexico, that he's going to be speaking Spanish. Wow, that, that that's really cool. Um... And we'll link to the we'll link to the video in the show notes. But I think it's 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 worth checking out because it is so interesting. And you know, even though we're still really early days, and I can only imagine how much more interesting it'll get. And you know, what really strikes me, and excuse me for being a bit of a nerd here for a second, but like I really can see the value of some of this for lesser spoken languages that have had to do with either terrible overdubs for years or subtitles, which again limits your audience, you know, your viewing ability or your audience, um, you know, age demographics, right? So if you've got, sure. if you have a kid's show, you can't use, you can't use subtitles. Um, so it's, it's really, really cool to think about, um, you know, again, finally being able to hear your favorite show in Mongolian. Um, if you're Mongol, that would be really meaningful and probably make things a lot more fun for, for the viewer. Yeah, I definitely see the sort of TV film dubbing, you know, auto automatic dialogue replacement, that segment of the industry, there's, there's great opportunity for, for voice modeling. And I mean, currently the best way to get high quality um, translation and transcription is to have a local speaker speak um, because, you know, as you speak and when you ask a question, your voice goes up in English. I don't know if other cultures and languages, we have that, they use that same intonation when they ask a question. Um, but Right now, the best way to do it is to have a local speaker speak and put it through the voice model so you can get the timbre of the actor applied applied to that. But as technology gets better, AI will be able to to affect the voice and, and have the voice go up when you're asking a question. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it will get much more much more interesting. Amazing. Yeah. I also see things beyond sort of, sort of the categories that we've thought about. And I don't know exactly what the applications will be, but I can imagine um, – you know, just within sort of education and the translation industries to sort of to bounce off of what you, what you just suggested, um, assistive tech uh, for people who are differently abled. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's use of uh, there are already applications where we're doing where we see uh, text to speech, um, but sometimes those uh, uh, voices sound mechanical and, and don't work very very well. So some of the same underlying technology would would benefit there. Um, and then you think about things like um, IVR systems, uh, interactive voice response, so call centers, you know, customer service applications. Think about having uh, a voice uh, that sounds uh, local. Um, I'm calling from uh, down south, and I get somebody with a southern accent answering the phone, even though the phone's being picked up in the northwest somewhere. Yeah. Just yeah. An idea. Yeah. Or we all learn we all learn that you can yell your language of preference into the phone early on. And it's like, oh, OK, you want to speak in Spanish or, oh, see, you want you want to speak in Ukrainian um, and it'll respond in the language that you are you know, most fluent in and, and therefore make your experience way smoother and less nerve wracking. That sounds interesting. 
All right. So if I were to build, so here's here's a here's a tough one. It's like a stumper stump around here. Um, uh -oh. If I am a, a startup or a company that would like to incorporate synthetic voices into my existing product or product I'm developing, how do you see um, sort of creating the right model? Um, so that besides, you know, hiring y'all, but, um, in general terms, how do I create, how do I create this so that my, uh, to, to sort of guard myself against some of the, the challenges and, and, and dangers, honestly, of synthetic voices and make sure that my product has the best possible chance of, of doing well and, and not facing legal challenges or other sort of, um, you know, PR disasters. Uh, what do you guys think? What what should I what I should I keep in mind? Just for a complete business plan. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> here, here. With some legal well, advice built in. <laughs> you can build me. It's a, it's a good challenge. I mean, I, I will have to uh, be a little bit self promotional. You know, we built uh, a back end platform, uh, mm -hmm. music.ai. You can go there now. You can explore our models. You can you know build uh, products essentially on our platform and uh, create APIs to use within. Uh, within your own project. So that infrastructure exists. And I would say that uh, creating um, AI models from the ground up and creating the infrastructure uh, for uh, to run AI models is probably prohibitive for a lot of companies when mm -hmm. they're in the concept stage, proof of concept stage. So um, yeah, you should come to Music AI and then mess around a little first. Um, I, I won't just like, you know, hand out, you know, Seth's email or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cut a deal with Seth right away and everything. We'll maybe we can have um, Shaq say it in, in, you know, at the end of this, at the end of the podcast episode. Um, but yeah, but that, that there is that, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, but those are tools. And so that doesn't cover, you know, sort of the, I think maybe two thirds of your question, uh, which I'd rather let Seth uh, attempt. Yeah, it was kind of aimed towards you, Seth, and and I'm sorry to make you answer a question about like future legal landscape kind of stuff. But if you were to advise someone in a very general way, what advice would you give them about protecting themselves um, and their business from, you know, legal challenges or troubles ahead? All right. So, so a lot of people in the industry are now are now speaking about the, the three C's when it comes to to voice synthesis, uh, consent, control, and compensation. Um, I think just to start, start on the consent side. Get as many right as, as broad of a rights grant as you can from the artist you're using. If you are using an artist, if you are using a, a, a voice, a voice actor to create your model, get as much authorization, as many rights, as broad of rights as possible. Um, you know, control and compensation. That's up to I think that company. Uh, you know, much. Is it, Probably don't have enough time to talk about those two pieces of it. it. Um, but on the compensation side, you know, like we said, what we've done, you know, we like to make sure that 100% of the compensation goes back to the artists and the voice models. That's great. I love setting the bar high for artist compensation is music to a lot of people's ears out there. So, um, all right. And on that high note, I mean, the, the pessimist being slightly like upbeat, we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> I think is there anything else that we didn't that we didn't cover you guys uh think is essential to throw into the mix as people are thinking about synthetic voices and trying to wrap their brains around what this means for the music industry and the media and entertainment industries writ large. Well the optimists will say, don't worry, everything's gonna work out okay. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. Let like you start there. <laughs> and then and then Seth would add <laughs> You're going to hear Harry Styles singing Thai. It's going to be so beautiful. You, you won't care about all the other stuff, right? Right. 
Well, well, I mean, a lot of artists actually are are doing that. You know, in in Asia right now, for for years, uh, you know, if you had a song, mm-hmm. a K-pop song released, um, they'll take that same song, translate it into the Japanese, and now release it as a J-pop song, and just rinse and repeat as you go through all of Asia. Um, and that means more money back to the songwriters, more money back to the record labels, more money back to the artists. Um, and now, so using AI now, it's you could do it faster, easier, cheaper. Um, so hopefully this will generate more money back to the, the, the creatives. I mean, that's the hope. That was very optimistic, Seth. I yeah. agree. Are I'm you trying, okay? I'm like, I'm, I don't mean overly <laughs> optimistic. I think, you know, nicely uh, optimistic. I do think that there's more opportunity than threat here. I really do. And and that's one of the things when I talk to people about AI who are creatives or who, who are, you know, concerned just people at large about where things are going. There's a lot of, of uh, consternation, in some cases hysteria, about what this could all mean. But I, I tend to, you know, want to again, I'm an optimist, but I want to look at the opportunities that are that are being uh, created out there and some that we haven't even imagined yet. I, I, you know, maybe I'm being Pollyanna, but I think um, there's some very, very exciting things to come that are going to uh, create uh, value for people, for companies, artists, for sure. Awesome. Okay, that's great. I love it. All right, I'm gonna press stop. Let it do its little thingy here. Oh, come on, you dumbass. Sorry. That's not, I'm not talking to you. That, that was not addressed to either of you. It's a stupid, our stupid platform is like. <laughs> you were, you were very, um, you, we could, we, we got to pin you down pretty well for a lawyer. I didn't feel like I got any, like, you, there was, usually it wasn't like, you know, the sort of like, woo. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what the message says. This says, "That's great." No, no, that's what you need. You did. You did. You don't need to create an account, and you don't. And but your files have uploaded, so the cloud, the cloud has captured your fantastic um, thoughts. I'm gonna press stop here. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know we do free monthly online events that you, our lovely podcast listeners, can join? Find out more at musictectonics.com. And while you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference and sign up for our newsletter to get updates. Everything we do explores the seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. That's my favorite platform. Connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it. We'll be back again next week, if not sooner. You're listening to Music Tectonics.